Listening to the Tennis Now Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining the program today. We're going to jump right in and get you caught up on the key storylines as the countdown to the U.S. Open begins in earnest. Less than seven days until main draw action begins at the U.S. Open in Flushing Meadows, with qualifying beginning tomorrow. We've got a fun one lined up for you today. We'll get Tennis Now contributor Eric Goodris on the program shortly. Eric spent the week braving the rains and extreme heat at the Western and Southern Open. He lives to tell about it, and we're looking forward to running over some talking points with him. But before we do that, we'd like to break down the biggest story in tennis right now, and that is the race for number one on the WTA side. The gap is closing. As it stands on Monday, Serena Williams holds a slim 190-point lead over Angelique Kerber in the WTA rankings. But Williams is defending 780 points in New York, while Kerber, who reached the third round last year before losing to Victoria Zarenka, only needs to defend 130 points. What that means is that Williams actually needs to reach the semifinals in order to maintain the number one ranking after the U.S. Open. And why that is significant is because Williams will be tied with Steffi Graf for the longest streak of weeks at number one, 186 weeks by the end of the U.S. Open. In order to break Graf's record, she'll need to hold it after the U.S. Open. Shouldn't be that much of a task when you consider the fact that Williams has reached the semis or better in each of the last eight majors, winning five of them and reaching the final of another two. So one can naturally surmise that this is not a lock for Angelique Kerber, and we found out in Cincinnati just how difficult it will be for her to get the number one ranking, where she just had to win the final against Karolina Pliskova and was not able to do it. And while Kerber has adamantly downplayed the implications of pressure in the media, one would have to think that at some point, in some way, it's going to get to her a bit. But Kerber isn't the only one feeling pressure. Williams has held the WTA's top dog status for the last 184 weeks. She'll go unchallenged for the next three, which means that if she can hang on, she'll pass Graf. You better believe that Williams would like to add that record to her ever-growing collection, along with a 23rd Grand Slam title in New York. Or, maybe this is a media fabrication. Do you ever think of that? Maybe when you've hit 300 weeks at number one and you're approaching the age of 35, you really don't give a hoot about who is number one or number two or number 22. You just want to win majors. Here's what Williams said at Wimbledon after she reached the final and ensured that she'd keep the number one ranking for a few more weeks there. She said, it is significant to me. I really wanted to keep it. That makes me happy. Did she mean it? Six weeks later, and we're guessing that it's still significant to Williams, which is why she probably tried to play Cincinnati even though she wasn't quite healthy. She would eventually withdraw, opening the door for Kerber to surpass her, but it didn't happen. 
So where does that leave us, tennis fans? I'll tell you, with tubs full of popcorn popping in our eyes on the draw. No matter who finishes the week number one, it's going to be exciting to see how the tour's top players navigate the tricky terrain of the year's final major. And with so much at stake. By tour's top players, we don't just mean Serena Williams and Angelique Kerber. Simona Halep, Garbina Muguruza, and Agnieszka Rodwanska all showed fantastic form in Cincinnati. And what about Karolina Pliskova? She stormed in and took the title while everybody was busy counting Angelique's ranking points. The beauty of the WTA is that it comes at fans from many directions. Stacked at the top 10 with a woman who is arguably the greatest to ever hold up a racket. But it's also incredibly talented from number 2 to number 50. And there's an air of anything can happen that filters through every Grand Slam fortnight. All right, we're going to shift gears a bit and bring on board Tennis Now contributor Eric Goodris, who was camping out at the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati last week, keeping an eye on all the goings-on there. Hey, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. So I saw you were out in Cincinnati braving the elements, lots of rain, lots of heat. Which was worse for you? Was the rain worse or the heat? Uh, it was definitely the rain, only because it caused a lot of havoc with the scheduling. Uh, the mat- matches started, they were stopped, uh, but somehow they, they got everything in on time, right up to the day of the finals. So we have to credit all the people behind the scenes, especially the volunteers and all those ball kids with their squeegee skills who uh, who got the courts dry. Yeah, keyword squeegee. There was a lot of that. We saw a lot of that on TV this week, actually. That's right. It was funny. All the attention was on Angelique Kerber in Cincinnati from pretty much start to finish, and rightfully so. But but it was Karolina Pliskova who stole away with the title. Um, you had a chance to watch her up close. So uh, what's your take on the state of her game? Do you get the feeling that she might be able to parlay this into finally making that trip to the second week of a major? Well, I think she certainly wants to make the second week of a major, too. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed watching Pliskova up close. She's definitely been one of those players that has done well, but as you said, has has not had that kind of breakthrough moment at a big event. Uh, and she certainly handled the the conditions and all the opponents her way. She just has this easy power when you see her up close. It's, it's not like she's like bombing the ball, but she's so tall she can serve in any direction, and especially on that forehand side, when she just steps in and, and hits it, it just goes by you. And uh, when she played Svetlana Kuznetsova, uh, she just kind of stood in the middle of court there and made Svetlana run all over the place. And then when she played Garbina Muguruza, the same thing. She handled that wind, those windy conditions very well. And I think the thing for Pliskova, and she talked about this in some of her press conferences, was she kind of took the break. She did not go to the Olympics. She took a two-week break, went back home, did some training on court and off court. And she says that really kind of helped her fine-tune her game. And she just just kind of had this kind of natural confidence. She just said she knew that she could beat these players like Muguruza, like Angelique Kerber. And... If she can translate that to, say, reaching the second week of the U.S. Open or a second week of a major down the road, we'll see. But I think it was definitely the steps that she needed to take this week in winning Cincinnati to say she's definitely um, a, a contender, um, maybe yeah. a dark horse contender for, for a major title. Uh, 
Uh, but mm-hmm. certainly with the results she she had in Cincinnati, she's definitely one to keep an eye on at the U.S. Open. For sure, yeah, that's a big title for her. And you're right about that. Uh, did you get up close and get to hear the sound of her serve, the pop of it? I've, I have memories of that. It's, it's a very nice sound. It is a very nice sound. She hits a, a fairly clean ball. I think that's why she handled the those kind of windy conditions, both in the Muguruza match and Kerber. Um, it's it's a pretty clean motion, um, even on her, her ground strokes as well. Um, certainly when she's able just to kind of stand in the middle of the court and dictate play, she's certainly very dangerous. So, uh, again, I, it's, just, it's nice to see her kind of have this result because she's been, she's been there. Um, you know, even she said you know, she had a, you know, a good 2015 season, but she feels like she's having a better season this year because she's kind of doing better at these bigger events now. Uh, yeah. So like I said, I think she's, she's definitely one to watch for New York. Certainly, Cincinnati was a massive title for her, her first Premier Five, and she beat Angelique Kerber in the finals. So let's turn our conversation there. Um, Angelique had to deal with these incessant questions about the number one ranking all week. She handled it very well. What's your assessment of her ability to kind of deal with that type of situation? And um, how do you see this uh, kind of setting up for for the U.S. Open with her now being just shy of the number one ranking? I think she did handle it very well. I, I she kept saying the whole time, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in the next match. Let's see what happens next week. Uh, almost as a way to kind of deflect some of the pressure. I do feel like in that final, yes, she was she was tired from all the matches she's played there and in Rio as well. But I definitely think she was sort of feeling that pressure of, of trying to to win that match and be number one. Um, I think for her, it's more. She, I think she definitely wants to be number one, but it's it's kind of this whole year has been leading up to this kind of moment. So she's kind of had this time to kind of to think about all the great results that she's had. And so going into New York, I think she will feel a little bit less pressure because Serena should be there, and so now this, the pressure will shift over to Serena because Serena's defending more points from last year's U.S. Mm-hmm. Open than it's Kerber. So that will take some of the pressure off because then uh, Angelique can say, well, let's see what Serena does, and then I have to play my game. And right. So it's not all on Angelique as it was this week. Yeah, uh, that's what I, that's what I was going to ask you about next. Do you you think it's better for Kerber to come in to New York as the – the hunter rather than being the hunted. If she if she had become number one, I think that would make it very tricky for her in New York. I agree. I think it, it shifts the pressure back to Serena. Serena last year obviously was going for the calendar year Grand Slam at the US Open. That was that was its own kind of pressure. Now Serena's dealing with the pressure of defending her number one ranking. Kerber is now going in as as you said, the hunter, but it's not all on her. It's there's 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 Serena's results in play. So mm-hmm. she's definitely Kerber's gonna get asked about potentially being number one again, but I think she mm-hmm. goes into this tournament, she can say, I'm not defending that many points from last year. I can just play my game and let's see what happens. So right. I, if, I think that that actually will help her not just potentially whatever happens with being number one, but being at the open as well, because she kind of goes in there with a clean slate. What about Serena? Do you think that this holding on to this number one ranking 
breaking Groff's record for consecutive weeks at number one. Do you think it, this really matters to Serena now, or is it just about winning the major? I, I, Serena definitely wants to be number one. She's one of the few players that she wants to be number one and all that comes with it. And in terms of like Groff's record, I, I don't know if that's a huge thing for her to equal. I, I'm sure it would, she would say it would be great, but I don't know if she's like dwelling on it. I think it's mm-hmm. more um, being number one and again, winning the, the U.S. Open, another major for her. Uh, it, it would have been interesting if she'd gone into New York, say, as the number two seed, what that, how she would have handled that. But I, I definitely think Serena wants to stay number one. I, I don't think she dwells on like whatever record sure. she's going to tie or pass. Sure. Just that she sees herself as number one, and she just expects to be number one. So she puts yeah. that kind of pressure on herself to play her very best to stay number one. Yeah, the, she doesn't dwell on the records. There's there's just too many of them anyway, right? Right. That's exactly right. How about the men's side? Um, Wow, surprise from Marin Cilic. He took the tournament by storm. First Masters 1000 title, snapped Murray's 22-match winning streak. Uh, he did it in style. He had a couple tough cl- close matches, including the late-night semifinal with Dimitrov, but he handled the big moments very nicely against Murray, which is something he didn't do well in Wimbledon when he lost to Federer in that uh, quarterfinal where he blew three match points. Do you see this as the beginning of something bigger for Cilic? I think Marin is entering the U.S. Open time. He's always got that potential. Even, you know, he won it a few years ago, and he did well at the U.S. Open last year. It all comes down to his serve. And I feel like if Marin is serving really well, especially the way he did at the U.S. Open when he won it, then everything else in his game kind of clicks. And that gives him the confidence to to go for his shots and, as you say, deal with those kind of pressure moments better. Uh, I think it was great that he, he won this title, that he kind of he kind of rebounded from that loss to Federer that that match he probably should have won, and you know he goes into New York now he's going to be a top eight seed that's going to help him as well, and he's definitely got the potential to to be a dark horse if the draw breaks and 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 he plays like he did in Cincinnati I think he's playing with a lot of confidence and. Again, I think it's all it all comes down to that serve of his again. If he can serve like he did uh, at the U.S. Open a few years ago when he won it, he's very, very dangerous. Yes, so dangerous. Um, besides Chilich, there were some other good performances in Cincinnati. There was uh, Dimitrov impressed um, and a few other ones. What, what were you keeping your eye on besides the, you know, the obvious ones, that, you know, Chilich and Pliskova? Who else caught your eye? Well, Dimitrov for sure, just because he's kind of bounced back a bit from that kind of that that mid-season slump that he had. Uh, you have to look at Steve Johnson, who uh, you know defeated Sanga with that win. He then became the new U.S. number one men's player. Um, certainly been having a, a steady season, um, and even like say Milos Raonic who you know he did lose to Murray but uh, you certainly can't uh, count out Raonic coming into the the US Open in terms of his his form and um again the serve and his kind of new ability to finish things off at, at the net so those are kind of the players on on the men's side that uh kind of stuck in my mind mm. 
know, Cincinnati's the bridge that connects the U.S. Open. It's got now like uh, less than seven days till we till we get to New York and main draw play begins. Um, uh, it, it was different this year without Federer, without uh, with a very fatigued Nadal. Um, that said, we had some emergencies and some storylines that are developing. Uh, where do you think it leaves us all after Cincinnati? Now, as as we as we head into New York, um, did we learn anything? That's a good question because, as you said, there were there were so many uh, players not in Cincinnati. Uh, but there were so many good results. I mean, you look at Andy Murray and you look at Angelique Kerber, both who came from having played the finals in Rio, and we expected them to maybe, you know, uh, kind of bow out early, but they, they kind of fought on and they showed how incredibly fit they are. And you've got to, got to think, wow, maybe these two can, can go all the way in New York just based on their fitness, uh, not just because of their, their, uh, their games, but just how they were just both able just to fight through, you know, the fatigue and, and the different pressures that they faced in, in their individual uh, draws. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting summer hardcore season because of the Olympics, because that was such a dramatic event unto itself, even though there were no ranking points given out there. Uh, you certainly have Monica Puig, uh, an incredible story, and it it I, doesn't look like she's going to be seated at the U.S. Open. So now she enters kind of as this dangerous floater. Can she kind of channel all that that confidence that she earned in Rio into in to making making that next big breakthrough for her at a major? And of course, yeah. Juan Martín de Potro, uh, you know, the, probably the story of the, of the event. Um, you know, he gets the wild card into the U.S. Open. And, and again, he's now a dangerous floater as well because he's not going to be seated. I mean, he could potentially face one of the top four seeds in in the first round. So who knows what to, to expect out of that. Um, I think someone we haven't talked about is Rafael Nadal, obviously. Um, he played in Rio, played a couple rounds in Cincinnati, and then just said he, he – you know, he lost that match to Chorich rather easily, and he just said afterwards he just he just needed a break. So, yeah, not quite sure what what Nadal is going to bring to New York. Certainly, he's going to do his very best, but in terms of his not just the fatigue from playing from Rio, but his kind of ongoing issues, what uh, exactly we're going to see from him. Stan Wawrinka is a bit of a, a mystery. We're not sure what to expect out of Stan based on. Uh, these results. A bit of a mystery. Uh, yeah. <laughs> still a mystery. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then certainly Novak Djokovic, who we, you know, he couldn't play in Cincinnati because of the wrist, so he probably just needed to take some time off as well. Um, certainly goes in as perhaps now the co-favorite with Andy Murray because of Murray's. Uh, success in the last couple of weeks. So that's certainly, uh, you know, we'll have to see how, how Djokovic is playing in those couple of early rounds and see where he kind of is after sort of the, the disappointment of Wimbledon and now the disappointment of Rio and, and now, mm. um, now trying to, to go for another U S open title. Yeah, it's, it's true. So you, you can't really factor in momentum because you don't know how it's going to play out, but, but Murray's the one who has built momentum all the way through the summer while Djokovic has sort of lost steam beginning at Wimbledon, though he did do well in Canada, but right. he's had kind of a series of mishaps. And you have to think if Murray 
can build on the momentum. I think you're right. You could almost consider them co-favorites or you could actually consider them co-favorites. So I guess a lot of it depends on how these players, the Pliskova, Kerber, will sort of parlay their momentum and how the players that have been out of action, Serena most notably, and Novak are able to just kind of like hit the ground running, which they've always been able to do. So that's pretty intriguing. Right. should be interesting to see how that plays out. But you mentioned Steve Johnson. So we've got a new number one American man right now, and he's outside of the top 20. But, but wow, Steve Johnson has put together a heck of a season. He reached the quarters in Cincinnati. You mentioned the win over Sanga. Um, what is your take on Steve? What, what's your take on his accomplishment? Where do you see him in a couple of months? Do you think he could hang on and kind of go for a run here as the top American? Uh, I think it's uh, he's uh, Steve Johnson's built a, a, an incredible season, just kind of plugging away, and you know he's such a kind of such a steady rise. Um, he was kind of asked about becoming the new U.S. number one men's player, and you know if he expects any more recognition or uh, from from fans or whatnot. And he said he hoped not. He hopes that he can just kind of. He said he likes be, being under the radar. Um, he just wants to play tennis and just enjoy his game. So it'll be interesting to see, especially now heading into the, the U.S. Open, where American men's tennis always gets more scrutiny, kind of how he handles additional media coverage or whatnot. I, I think the thing to bear in mind is that you know he and John Isner are only separated by like 10 points in the current rankings. So... Mm-hmm. Whatever happens in the next couple of weeks, John Isner could come back and take over from his U.S. number one. Jack Sock, who's not that far away, he might have a good run at the U.S. Open and pass them both. So I don't. I think Steve Johnson certainly has the potential to crack the top twenty, stay in the top twenty for a while. I'm not a hundred percent certain that this is like going to become like the Steve Johnson era in American men's tennis, for lack of a better word. Uh, I think there's going to be a bit of back and forth um, between the players. And and Steve Johnson said himself, he's more happier with that there's a lot of group of American men kind of pushing each other. So there's several other rising Americans as well who maybe, you know, six months from now could have a good good result and, and kind of take over. So it's 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 a great accomplishment for Steve Johnson, uh, and uh, he certainly could use that momentum to carry to have a great result at the U.S. Open. But I, I think it's still a bit of a, a transition period still for U.S. Uh, American men. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, hopefully, it'll the competition, as you mentioned, will will pay off for Isner and Sock, and maybe we'll get all three of those guys inside the top twenty. Well, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate it. We, all the time we have. Um, I just. Very thankful you could come on today. We look forward to uh, working with you and talking with you uh, when the U.S. Open rolls around. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to chatting with you again. Okay, take care. Special thanks to Tennis Now contributor Eric Goodris for coming aboard the program. You can follow him on Twitter at ATNTennis. Special thanks to our sponsors, Tennis Express. And thanks to all for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can follow us on iTunes, like and share us on SoundCloud, or just stop by the website, tennisnow.com. Thanks for listening, everybody.